I think one of the things that's often overlooked in manufacturing is just how complex a manufacturing organization is. There are yeah. so many things going on within that organization. And there's a lot of key stakeholders from various departments that need to get involved in these initiatives. Welcome to the Voices of Manufacturing, where business leaders across the industry share their unique challenges and insights. Brought to you by Dazuki. All right, welcome to the Voices of Manufacturing podcast. I'm your host, Brian Salee, and joining me today is Corey Brown. Corey is the producer of our podcast, but also leads our industry research here at Dazuki. Welcome to the podcast, Corey. Hey, Brian, excited to be here. Yeah, it's about time we got you on. I, I don't know. I'm sure a lot of folks have read. Corey produces a lot of content for our blog and has a lot of deep industry experience. So I'm excited to, to have Corey on the show today. Today, we're going to talk about some really interesting t statistics that Corey has stumbled upon during his research for a new digital course. Corey, tell us about this new course that we've launched. Yeah, Brian, I'm, I'm so excited to be talking about this with you. We've been hard at work researching and, and speaking with customers and gleaning insights from our internal team here. You know, we've spent over a decade working with hundreds of manufacturers, and this is the first time we've really gathered all this insight and information and packaged it in a way that's going to be helpful to, I think, a lot of folks. Specifically, we're talking about putting digital tools on the front line, empowering the operational workforce. And we have a lot of experience doing that with our product at Dazuki, but we also have just a lot of experience working with people in the industry, helping them identify the right challenges and, and how these solutions can actually have a sustaining positive change. It's called our, our Frontline Digital Transformation or FDX for short, Masterclass. And I'll get into a few details about that later, but throughout all this research, I've uncovered a lot of interesting industry insights and stats. And I just want to talk about them with you today. I know you have tons of experience working with our customers, and I kind of wanted to hear your take on these stats and provide some color to how these statistics impact digital transformation on the front line. So let's just get started, if that sounds good with you. Yeah, let's dig in. I'm excited to talk about these stats. I always enjoy a good statistic, but there's always a, a story behind <laughs> it. So hopefully we can shed some light on the, the story behind these stats. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're going to get started with the first one here. It may surprise some folks. I think maybe more folks outside of the industry or those who aren't necessarily on the front line, but it is 72% of factory work is still performed by people. And I say it might surprise folks outside of the industry because I think there's a lot of uh, perception we have out here of robotics and automated machinery kind of transforming the space and, and taking those jobs away from people. But in reality, there's a lot of opportunity for people to still improve factory, to, to add value to factories. And um, it's shown here. I mean, this even surprises me that 72% of factory work is still performed by people. Yeah, I think you probably, what we all see in the news, right, is the companies that get all the media attention, like a Tesla, and you hear about right. Elon's plan to have lights out manufacturing that didn't go quite as planned, but it's still highly automated. And those companies get all the attention. When you really look at manufacturing, there's this long tail of companies out there that they're just getting maybe their first robot uh, into the factory. And so the stat's a little bit surprising, probably, like you said, for folks outside the industry, but I think that's probably really accurate. I been in a lot of factories and many of them have zero automation, maybe some packaging automation, and but definitely not uh, too far on that automation journey yet. 
Yeah, definitely. And like you said, some of the Teslas of the world may be outliers, but even other companies that have some robotics and, and machinery in their operations, that still requires maintenance, that still requires technicians and operators to run those effectively and make sure they don't break down or have maintenance issues. So despite the advances in technology, humans aren't going away from the factory floor. I don't really see that happening in the future. It seems like from your experience, you don't really either. Yeah, I think you're hitting on a really great point too. Even the companies that do bring in automation, someone's got to program the automation, someone's got to maintain it. There's lots of additional jobs that are created through that automation. And a lot of the automation that's being brought into factories right now is we hear from a lot of companies that can't fill open roles. They're trying to automate really low skill tasks that are uh, repetitive that most people don't want to do anyways. Yeah, that brings to mind, I think our, our first podcast episode with Jim Vanosky from Forbes. I remember him talking about the fact that, listen, technology isn't here to replace jobs. It's here to help them, to improve them. We're yeah. taking away the dangerous jobs, the repetitive tasks that can cause strain and injury over long periods of time. And technology needs to be seen as as a tool, not as a replacement. Yep. Yep. When you, as you say that, I think augment is the, the term I hear a lot of folks. We want to augment, help out our operators, give them additional capabilities. I think I like the exoskeleton type of uh, device. I think Ford started using some of those and where people wear it and it just gives them extra strength and supports their body. So they're not getting those repetitive injuries. That's fascinating. Yeah. Iron Man in the factory. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, move on to the next stat here. So this one, this is about the concept of a brain drain. This is a, a jargony term, but essentially it means the loss of institutional or, or tribal knowledge. And a lot of companies are seeing this in particular because of the retiring baby boomer workforce. And a lot of companies are, are worried about filling those gaps. They've had people working in the industry for decades and all this valuable insight and knowledge that they've gleaned over the years needs to be captured. So 97% of companies are worried about the financial impact of quote unquote brain drain. Yeah, I'm not surprised by this. I'm actually more surprised. What's the 3% that aren't worried about it? What are they doing? Because <laughs> they must have a, a pretty good plan or maybe they have a, a really young workforce. But even if you have a young workforce, I think we've seen with the shifting workforce, people change jobs so frequently nowadays. Uh, there's still this huge impact where you get some up to speed. They you know hit a certain level of competency and they're moving on to a new role. And now you got to start over from scratch in a lot of cases if you know you haven't done a good job capturing some of that knowledge and then using it to train those new employees. Yeah, certainly. Brain drain or, or tribal knowledge, I think, impacts a lot of areas of companies in, in the space, not just operations. It's, it's taking a different approach to how we value knowledge in the workforce and recognizing that there are different ways with new technology to, to capture and provide more access to that company-wide. You know, I think one quote I've heard is knowledge isn't an individual asset. It's a group asset. It's a company asset. And as this baby boomer or this generational shift is happening, I think it's highlighting the fact that we that maybe people haven't done a good job of providing or really leveraging the knowledge that their operational workforce has. There's a ton of very smart operators, people that have been in the space for a long time, and, and their knowledge needs to be shared so it can improve the next generation. Yeah. That, and that's interesting, Corey. So I'm, I'm wondering, as you're mentioning this, the, I think it's like 55% of, I'm sorry, no, 27% of the workforce in manufacturing is going to retire over the next 10 to 15 years. And those numbers right. might be just a little bit off, but they're, it's somewhere around there. 
And because there's such a mass number of retirements that are happening and so much knowledge is leaving the workforce, do you feel like it's really fundamentally changing the way companies operate to where in the past, when someone left the company, it wasn't a big deal because you had someone else behind them that knew what to do. And they didn't really have that discipline of documenting processes and capturing that knowledge. But now it's going to be transformational for a lot of these companies because they have to do it. They don't have a choice. And that might be a new discipline that they carry forward even after those retirements. Yeah, I think you nailed it there. I mean, it, it's something they just didn't, people didn't have to think about. There yeah. was always somebody to fill the shoes or they had been mentoring somebody that's able to take their place. It says companies are worried about this, but frankly, I think you and I and a lot of innovative companies see this as a real opportunity because like we said, we have all this untapped insight across the operational workforce. Let's take advantage of it. Let's not just let it go by the wayside any longer. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially here in the United States. I think that's one of the biggest concerns that we should have as a country. We've outsourced so much of our manufacturing, so much of our know-how. Other countries are now gaining that expertise and building up years and years of experience. And we need to maintain that. That's really important knowledge for us to have when it comes to how do we build these type of things? How do we design a product for manufacturing? And that's something where bringing back some of the manufacturing in the United States is really helpful to make sure we uh, maintain that, that knowledge. All right. Well, let's shift gears a little bit here, Brian. This next statistic is a little bit more about digital technology and smart factories. So it says early smart factory adopters reap twice as many benefits, reporting a 20% increase in labor productivity. So that that's crazy. If you can imagine if your workforce could be 20% more productive, I think any company would jump at that opportunity. Here we have early smart factory adopters just defined as People leading digital innovation within the space, you know, they're the ones who are seeking out new solutions rather than waiting for a problem to happen. They're seeking to improve continuously and it shows in the results. So when they apply these new digital tools to the factory floor, you're going to see a boost in performance big time. Yeah. And I guess, I don't know if you have any further details on this, but what's considered a smart factory? Is it something as basic as now you've got digital time cards or is it more machine connectivity and you're monitoring uh, your machines? What dictates a smart factory? Yeah, that's a good question. I think part of it can be connected machinery. Certainly we've seen a history of manufacturing adopting connected machinery and analytic solutions, but I think it's also about making your workforce smarter by yeah. giving them more resources and access to better tooling. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you, you mentioned the machine connectivity. I think that is the part a lot of manufacturers had early success with because it was fairly easy for some of these machines. You could buy bolt-on adapters to be able to track when the machine's running, when it's not running, when there's maintenance issues, just having that data now uh, and being able, being able to act upon it. That's probably, I could see easily where you would have 20% increase in, in labor productivity there. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, moving on here, it's Easier said than done, of course, with these things, especially when you're dealing with a shifting workforce or maybe an older workforce that could be resistant to change. So this next stat highlights the fact that we understand there's value in digital transformation, but that doesn't mean it's as simple as just buying software or buying a new tablet. Um, it says that 95% of industry leaders agree that digital transformation is essential to future success, but less than 30% reach their stated goals. And you, yeah, you've helped a lot of companies with that, Brian, with starting their digital transformation. Do you think this statistic is accurate in your opinion and maybe why you think that's the case? Yeah, I think one of the things that's often overlooked in manufacturing is just how complex a manufacturing organization is. 
There are yeah. so many things going on within that organization. And there's a lot of key stakeholders from various departments that need to get involved in these initiatives. And I think for a lot of companies, they just don't have that, they just don't have that muscle memory yet. They haven't done this before. And so as they're embarking on these digital transformation projects, they don't know who's going to lead the project or who, who should own it. And what are the other key stakeholders that should be involved? What should their involvement be? So I, I think a lot of it comes down to, we talked about this previously with Michael Molenberg for, from 3M, but just a lot of manufacturers have an outdated org structure. You might embark on a digital transformation project who's leading it. Oftentimes it's being led by a group of employees who they already have dedicated roles. So it might be IT or HR, and they're taking on this project in addition to their day-to-day -day work. And I think that's where the challenge is. You really need someone whose sole focus is on making sure that these digital transformation projects are going to be successful. And they really need hundred percent attention on it, whether that's a, a chief digital officer in 3M's case, I think they have a operational technology group but some dedicated group with dedicated people uh, working on these projects, I think is key. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that's actually a perfect transition to this next statistic, because as we know, it's, again, it's easier said than done, but it's also, it's a new process for a lot of companies to understand. And, and maybe some companies just don't fully appreciate that these digital tools are, are a new type of technology that required different strategy, different planning, different implementation techniques. It's a little bit different than upgrading your machinery, let's say. Yeah. So this one says, of the companies that aren't able to realize or reach their stated goals of digital transformation projects, 80% of the lost value, 80% of where this failure occurs happens during the initial implementation or, or far before. So I think that kind of speaks to what you're talking about, Brian. You need an intentional strategy and you need dedicated resources to make sure that these projects get off the ground because the hardest part is in the first stages, really making sure that you're building the right foundation, identifying the right solution. And that's, I think, a lot of what, what we specialize in here at Dazuki. We have a digital tool, but that's only part of it. It, it takes a lot of work and collaboration with these companies and stakeholders to make sure that we are approaching this new strategy in the right way. Yeah, I think you're, you're right. And I think the thing here is it's, it goes back to, it's all about the people, no matter how exciting this project is, or if you try to build out the business case and you've got a really strong ROI and it's, we're going to make a lot more money or save a lot more money. If we do this thing, it always comes back to the, the people who are involved in the project. And I, I think, you know, what we're seeing here with this stat, 80% of the lost value occurs before or during the initial implementation is there's a lot of bureaucracy in a lot of these companies, because as we mentioned earlier, you've got that outdated org structure. It's not really clear who is, who's running, you know, the project sometimes, or who has the ability to slow things down, speed things up because you don't oftentimes have a dedicated team responsible for the project. You might have multiple teams that include HR, IT, manufacturing operations, quality. And that just really slows things down to the point where you probably had some really motivated uh, employees at the beginning, but as things slow down and you're not making progress as quickly, it's easy for those employees to, to lose motivation and be you know, deterred by uh, the slow progress. So again, Absolutely. I think that goes back to making sure you've got someone who's dedicated, their sole focus is pushing that project forward and They've got the authority and the means to make it happen. Yeah. And it's a big, like you said, a big component of this is the people behind the project. And so that's one side of it. The other side of it is 
the people that this project is affecting? Who's How is your yeah. workforce going to be impacted by this digital tool? A lot of times when maybe we buy a new machine or something else, something that's more of a hardware-based solution, you don't have to consider cultural resistance or change management strategies because uh, humans aren't as integral to making that change successful. But here with digital tools, it's all about the people who are using that technology. A tool is only as useful as the user of that tool, right? So our final stat here is 97% of digital transformation projects fail when companies don't include operators and line managers early on in the process. So, I mean, operators and line managers, that's essentially your frontline workforce, right? Those are the people that are doing the daily tasks that keep your operations running smoothly. That's that's shocking. I'm, I'm blown away by that status. That's pretty pretty compelling reason to get those folks involved. I'm, I'm curious though, at what part in the process do you get them involved? Where where do you seek their feedback or opinions? And, and, and yeah, how do you really get those folks involved and, and when? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't think there's a simple answer to that. I can speak to some of the things I've learned when creating this masterclass. Part of it, I think a big part of it is involving them before you've even identified the solution, right? Before you're even considering implementing a new tool, you need to make sure that you accurately understand the challenges that the frontline workforce is facing and what's important to them because they're they're going to have a much better grasp of the daily challenges facing the workforce and what they see as obstacles to improving performance. Yeah. So that's the, uh, you got to get out there on the floor and you got to see what it's like for them in their day-to-day life and whatever tool you're implementing or whatever technology it is. How's it going to impact them as you're saying? How will it benefit them? Maybe how will it change their their work for better or worse? And having a real appreciation of that. I think the days of, hey, the VP is going to make a decision and then the project's going to get greenlit and then it's just going to get pushed down. Those days are long gone. And I'm not sure how well those types of initiatives worked in the past, but yeah, I can right. definitely see how frontline operator engagement, line managers, so important because they're ultimately the ones, as we see with this stat, that are going to really dictate or determine if the project is successful or not. Yeah. And then once, if you've actually identified the right challenges to solve for, it's going to make implementing that tool so much easier because you're actually solving a real need on the front line. You're not just doing what you think is best. You're doing what your workforce thinks is best. And I, I keep thinking of this quote that we had from Taylor Harlan on the podcast where he says, you know, people don't resist change. They resist being changed. So involving them from the get-go is a monumental difference. It, it, it can be very simple. It doesn't have to require a lot of time, but knowing that their voices are important to these new solutions goes a long way for making a sustainable or lasting successful digital transformation project. Absolutely. Corey, this is great. I think we covered some really interesting stats here and hit on some topics that have come up over the first, what, nine episodes of the the podcast. Where where can people go to, to learn more about the Frontline Digital Transformation Masterclass that you guys have launched? Yeah, thank you, Brian. Apologies, it is a little bit of a mouthful. So we're calling it our FDX Masterclass. FDX, uh, Digital like Transformation that. is already an acronym, so we just added Frontline onto that. And it's a three-part series, so it's full of insight. It's a video series that's featuring some of the experts on our podcasts and other customers and partners we've worked with. I'll be the host, but I'm I'm not the expert. I don't have the experience that these folks have. So we're really leveraging a whole pool of 
um, intelligent people in the manufacturing sector to kind of share those insights, as well as help you take action on those learnings. So in addition to the video series that we have throughout this masterclass, we are going to be providing worksheets. A great example that relates to this last slide is we have the Frontline Gemba Walk Challenge, which is a worksheet that guides people through a Gemba Walk, specifically geared towards evaluating the needs of the frontline and how digital tools could potentially solve for some of those challenges. But it's packed with a bunch more content downloads. I encourage everyone to check those resources out. You can register for this class for free on our website. So I'll provide links and information in the show notes, but you can visit www.dazuki.com slash FDX. So that'll take you to the registration page. And from there, you can sign up and get started right away. And, and Corey, who, who do you recommend? Who's this course for? Anybody in manufacturing? What's the, the type of people you guys design this for? I think it's for anybody that is in manufacturing and is, is considering digital tools, especially people early on in the process. You may not know where to start, and it can be overwhelming to see all the new technology out there for the space. But this is really a ground zero. How do we make a strategy for digital transformation? And, and how do we iterate off of that? It's not, these projects aren't huge, quick wins. They, they take time, but over time, you'll see a lot of improvements to your performance and you'll see that these digital tools do have a real impact. It's just about approaching it the right way. So anybody that's interested in a digital tool, specifically that can empower the frontline or operational workforce, that's what we specialize in. It's our bread and butter. We're really effective at it with all the customers that we've worked with. And again, this class is a culmination of all those learnings that we've had as a company. Great. I, I love it. It's less about the technologies that you, you could implement. And it's really about the, if you are going to implement new technologies, how do you go about doing it? What's the, the process that you use? Yeah, that's right. Well said. Excellent. Okay. Well, excited about this course, Corey. Thanks for for joining me on the uh, the podcast for the first time, and look forward to to having you on again as the uh, the producer of the show. Thanks, Brian. Been honored to be a guest on the Voices of Manufacturing, and hope to chat with you soon. Alrighty. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Thank you for listening to the Voices of Manufacturing, brought to you by Dazuki. To stay up to date. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit dozuki.com slash podcast to learn more.